That was better than the one that Micah got. <laughs> I appreciate you being here. Um, so uh, I, I offered to sing and leave my mic on while I did that, but I didn't figure y'all would want to hear it. So I, I chose to, <laughs> to turn it off for your sake. Um, but it's good to see all the faces. Um, I'm glad you're here to join us today. It is a heavy passage, as Micah talked about, as it is one of the most popular. And uh, I, I think Pastor Stephen set me up for this, um, which is good. I'm glad. I'm glad to take on the challenge uh, of trying to uh, engage this passage with you and talk to you about it and um, talk to you about orienting ourselves back to the cross. Um, but before I go there, I want to um, go to the Lord in prayer, uh, not for just my sake, but asking that He would hear, or that you would hear, uh, what He has to say to you today. That He would open your hearts uh, to receive His message, uh, to illuminate it off the pages of Scripture. Um, and that He also would calm my nerves. So, um, Father, we thank You. What a privilege it is to come in the midst of other believers and to open in prayer and in worship and song. And God, to think about your cross as we turn to your word and we open it up. Lord, as we have already begun to sing to you in praise this morning, I pray that you would open those who are here, the hearts of those, so that they may hear with clarity, Lord, your truths, so that they may be challenged in their personal lives as they walk out of this building today, that they go and they evangelize and they share the good news about you, Jesus. And God, all that you're capable of doing through just us opening our mouth and sharing the good news that God, you promised to do a work, that your word does not come back empty and void, but it goes out and accomplishes it goodwill and purpose. So may that be true today. May you ease my mind. May you comment. May you just speak through me. And may you illuminate your words off of the page. In your name I pray, amen. So we began to study uh, several weeks ago into the book of John to help orient us as a church back towards evangelism. It's something that easily can get lost within our daily personal lives as believers if we're not constantly refocusing ourselves and thinking back uh, to what God has done on our behalf and looking back at the pages of Scripture and reorienting and refocusing ourselves back to the gospel and what Christ has done so that we may go out and share it. A lot of times we get bogged down in the daily things of life, our jobs, our circumstances, everything that's going on, and we tend to forget the very good news that we hear week in and week out from this pulpit so that's why we have taken you back to John and so you can take joy in the light 
as you remember who you once were, that you once were also under God's wrath, that you also were like a Nicodemus, you also were like a woman at the well, you were also like those who were blind and, and didn't have faith, but God in His mercy and His kindness, He reached down and He saved you. And it is not our job or our task to stay and be comfortable in our seats each Sunday as we hear that good news, yet do not go out and proclaim it among our children, among our co-workers, among our family. We are not to just sit there and to enjoy the fact that we get to spend eternity with God because I would challenge you on this fact, if that is your mindset, that you probably are not of the redeemed. Because the Spirit of God that lives and dwells within you makes it impossible for you not to desire the burden of other people and their plight in the sense of being lost and not saved. If you don't mind, if you'll please stand with me. Um, we honor God's Word here by having you stand. I'm going to read all 15 verses today of John chapter 3 because I want you to hear what John is saying to Nicodemus and why it's important. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sounds. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Listen to this. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from, the, from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. I may be seated. J.C. Ryle once quoted about John chapter 3, The servant of Christ will do well to make him thoroughly acquainted with this chapter. A man may be ignorant of many things in doctrine and yet be saved. But to be ignorant of the matters handled in this chapter 
is to be in the broad way which leads to destruction. See, what John helps us begin to do here, as we recall last week, Jesus began to do signs and wonders among the people, if you remember correctly. Uh, Stephen preached on Jesus turning the water into wine. And then we went from there to see Jesus proclaiming that He was going to establish, He would destroy the old temple and establish a new system, a new way that we would be the temple of God where His Spirit would dwell. So John begins to, after those signs and wonders, he begins to orient us towards a number of conversations that begin to happen. In fact, we see this as a theme throughout John where there's signs and there's wonders that are accomplished and done by Jesus. And then he has many conversations after the fact. We find it true in this particular instance that Jesus engages a number of different people after this. If you go through your text and you read for the next several chapters, which I encourage you to do, we see conversation after conversation after conversation. The first one being Nicodemus. The next one being the woman at the well. Then on to the Gentile official. And then to the blind man at Bethesda there at the pool. So coming into this conversation with Nicodemus, we must have an understanding what leads up to it. So we have to kind of go back before chapter 3 to see what it was that was kind of going on. And we saw this last week as, as uh, Stephen pointed it out. But I want to kind of look at verse 24 and 25 of chapter 2. Verse 23, I apologize, through 25. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew that what was in man. So if you remember, these people who began to follow Jesus, they had a sense of superficial faith about them. Why did they believe in Jesus? Why were these people following Jesus? It was because that they were enamored by the fact of his signs and his wonders. It was, what could Jesus do for me? That was their mindset. They were more interested in what Jesus could accomplish on their behalf instead of what he was accomplishing for them spiritually, but rather for them physically. That was what they were interested in. Even Jesus' brothers, when we get to chapter 7, we'll see this. They were only interested in what Jesus was doing. To the point they tell Jesus to go down to Judea and begin to do this so your name could be known. And the fact of the matter, Jesus said, no, it's not my time. And so what we see here is a group of people at the end of chapter 2, who are following Jesus only because of what he can do and not because of what he will accomplish. Nicodemus comes to Jesus under this same pretense. 
So it begs the question, and I want to ask you this. Is your faith superficial or is it authentic? Is, is it based on what God is doing for you or what God has accomplished in your life or the good things that God has brought about? But as soon as the moment that suffering, pain, turmoil, those things hit, we're quick to leave Jesus. We're quick to forsake the faith. See, Jesus wasn't going to turn himself over to man because he knew what was in man. He knows what is in each of us because each of us has a sinful nature. We are depraved. So he doesn't turn himself over to man because he is not here to do signs and wonders and to please people about the physical things that he can bring to them, although he does those things. But he does them and He shows us because He is doing it to the glory of God. He is more concerned about the will of the Father than the will of man. It's interesting in John chapter 6, verses 60 through 66. I hope I'm not stealing any of Stephen's future thunder here. But if you remember, Jesus is talking about being the bread of life. And what He's getting at, He's telling them that you must eat of this bread. Kind of sounds weird, right? So when he's talking to them about this, they couldn't perceive it. They couldn't understand what he was saying to them. And what he's alluding back to was the manna in the wilderness and him talking about he will fulfill them and satisfy them for all eternity. It's not just a temporary fulfillment, but he will satisfy them for all eternity. And what do we see from his disciples here? It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit of God who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning, remember he knew the hearts of men, he knew from the beginning of those, who were, of those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. So what we see, it says, After this, sorry, I apologize, many of his disciples turned back and no longer, what? Walked with him. The reality of what Jesus was calling them to, which was eternal and dying to self and a new birth, they could not handle it. They could not change. They could not repent because they did not desire to do so. They were only interested in what Jesus was giving them. So again, I want to bring this to you. Are you that type of person who is only following Jesus, only a disciple of Jesus because what he is blessing you with in your life or are you willing to follow him even to the point of suffering? And the reason that's important in this passage and why I want to draw it into the, in the chapter 3 is because in light of this question I just asked you about superficial and authentic faith, 
as we move over to chapter C, we begin to see how authentic faith unfolds and comes about. In this discourse between Jesus and Nicodemus, that's what we begin to see. So Jesus engages those who do not believe with conversation so that he may call them to repentance and faith. He does. We're called to do the same. Engage people in conversation so that we may call them to repentance and faith through the gospel message. So if you remember Nicodemus' first response, if you go back to John chapter 3, as he comes to Jesus, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What we see here is Nicodemus' first response is in question about what? The signs. The very same thing that the, the superficial believers were holding to was the really cause that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by. He begins to ask him questions about you know, we know you're a good teacher. You're doing these signs. There's no way that you could be anything other than from God. And he comes to him with the wrong intentions and the wrong motive. Despite this, Jesus engages him and turns Nicodemus away from the physical towards the spiritual. Notice Nicodemus asks this Somewhat ridiculous assumption of a question, right? What do, you, what do you expect me to do? Go back into my mother's womb as an old man and to be born again? Jesus doesn't even entertain the question. He, asked was a, he answers was a spiritual answer. He turns him back towards our spirit, our inner man. The issues that we have in our own being... See, no matter how religious Nicodemus or seemingly curious at this point that he was, he was, lo- he was as lost, get this, as the woman at the well that you'll see in the next chapter. He was as lost as the blind man. He was as lost as anyone else, as the Gentile, as the Roman official. Nicodemus was just as lost. Just because he was religious, because he was moral, he was upright in the eyes of his religious system, he was just as lost as the next person. He was in need of redemption. So, what does Jesus do? Remember, Jesus knew the sin that was inside of Nicodemus. Jesus engages him anyways. And I tell you this, it is not our job to discern where someone is spiritually. It, it is not your job to determine if somebody is on the precipice of becoming a believer or not, and then all of a sudden you run in with the gospel and think, I'm going to save that person. It, it's not your job to be like, oh, that person's moral and upright. I want to share it with them because they're deserving of the good news. While Millions of other people are dying and going to hell because they're not good enough for the gospel, because they're like the woman at the well who has five husbands. Or they're the drug addict on the corner. 
or they're the person that's caught up in sin sexually. Everyone is deserving of the good news. And that's why we see these conversations that are starting with Nicodemus and as they come about is that it is not our job to make that determination. It is our job only one thing and that's to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And you allow God to do the work. I found it interesting that Nicodemus, a ruler of the Pharisees, came to Jesus by night. And night here demonstrates two different concepts. Nicodemus was a ruler, it says. Ruling authority. So there was some shame in coming to Jesus by night. He didn't want to be seen with them. Because as we know, the men, or the Pharisees, were opposed often to the ministry of Jesus Christ. So here it is, we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night because he don't want to deal with the negative consequences of the cultural and religious implications that would have occurred had he been spotted and seen having a discussion with Jesus about such spiritual matters. Because here it is, and Jesus questions him on it. You mean to tell me you're a teacher and you don't know these things? So he comes to Jesus out of fear. But also, the second concept here is the other purpose of the word used is often used throughout John, whether speaking of actual spiritual darkness or night being used metaphorically. We see it often throughout John. As a double meaning showing the spiritual and moral state of darkness of a person. You go back to the very first chapter. We see it all throughout John again as well. But light and darkness are often contrasted. And in this same case. We see that what is at the very core of John's or Nicodemus's heart. Is not just fear of man but his own depravity in his soul, the own darkness that's going on in his own spirit, in his own being. You see, Nicodemus would have thought of himself upstanding in regards to the law, and he would have held himself in regard to the same thoughts that, Peter, uh, that Paul later described himself. You remember when Paul said, oh, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, I was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. Nicodemus would have had that same mindset being of the authority of the ruling class. It's believed that he was sent to Jesus by the Sanhedrin. Because he uses we in the plural form. I love this quote by Ernst Hengstenberg, a German theologian. It said, doubtless Nicodemus approached Jesus at night, but his own night was blacker than he knew. See, that's the, that's the circumstances of many people that we engage in our culture. That the blackness, the, the darkness, the depth of their soul is darker than they can ever fathom. And only the gospel can shine light and bring light and bear light into that area of their light. So what is the darkness of our heart? 
in his heart mean? Darkness and sin make it impossible to see the kingdom of God. It is impossible. People who state they have spiritual encounters believe that their spirituality is leading them towards some kind of light, some kind of understanding of God. It tells us right here that that is not true in verse 3 because Jesus said this. He answered him, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It is impossible. See, we are blind to this reality. Before we came to faith in Christ, we were blind to this reality. We were dead set on our own kingdoms, just as Nicodemus is. At this point in his, in his conversation with Jesus, Nicodemus was set on his own kingdom, his own world, his own reality. How do we know this? By the response that Jesus gives in verse 3 and Nicodemus' response in verse 4. He tells him, unless, you can, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And that's where we see Nicodemus ask this crazy question about how can a man who is old enter into, this, into, into his, the womb of his mother a second time? So Jesus says you must be born again and Nicodemus confuses this with a physical birth but it's impossible for him to understand what Jesus is getting at spiritually because of what he can't understand spiritual things why because he is dead in his sin that is what that, that is what Nicodemus is coming from although Nicodemus was a man of the law and he understood the law well he didn't understand that the law was pointing to the very fact that he was living in darkness that he was lost. That's what the law does. It's a curse unto us. It is not a set of rules or guidelines by which we live by. The law ultimately shows that we can't live up to God's standard. And we're in desperate need of being born again. And that is true of the case here. He can't see the kingdom of God because he's spiritually dead. Because Nicodemus doesn't know the depths of his own depravity. You can't see the kingdom of God for this very reason. Like Jesus, our tendencies are often to attempt to win a debate or argument. They are. When we, we engage people about things like evolution and creation, uh, our mindset is, how can I win this argument? We get on Facebook and we argue with people all day about Doctrines about morals, about, uh, about politics, about all of these things that ultimately don't matter unless somebody knows Jesus Christ. And that's our goal in life. And instead, we tend to argue about these things. And we think we've won when we've won the debate. When we've shut somebody up. And no longer they can argue but let me ask you this. Have you changed their heart? Can you change their heart? Have you offered them the good news? Despite trying to win the argument, have you just given them the gospel? 
You can't change a dead person by convincing them a moral wrong or doctrinal error. You can only change it by the good news. Christ crucified, raised from the dead for your sins and mine. I'll take you over just to make this point clear to you of where we come from as believers and where Nicodemus was at this point. You'll take a look up at the screen. We have Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I want to read this text to you. Speaking of believers, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's you and me, brothers and sisters. That's where we come from. That's where Nicodemus was at. He is lost in his... He is dead in his trespasses and his sins. He cannot understand eternal things because of that very reason. He is blind. See, the text here says we are all spiritually dead at some point. It doesn't say no pulse, no life, nor near death. It doesn't say near dead. It said we were dead. And that I know of a dead man can't make a decision. I've never met one. If you remember Lazarus in John chapter 11, as Jesus kind of waited to come, Mary and Martha had sent message to Jesus, Lazarus is about to die, please come. And what does he do? He waits around. Jesus dies and Mary and Martha ask him, why didn't you come? They knew he could have saved him. Jesus knew he could have saved him. But he says that I've waited for the glory of God because it's going to be revealed. So Lazarus is dead in a tomb for three days. No life, no pulse. Just like us, dead in our sin. It's a picture of the gospel. Jesus stands outside of his tomb and he calls out to Lazarus to get up and to walk. And for the tomb to be rolled away. And in the same way, God did that in your life as a believer. He called you out of death into life. And what does Lazarus do? He gets up and he walks out of the grave and he's alive again. That is what Jesus does. That is what the Spirit does in the life of the believer. That is what he has done. And that is what Jesus is trying to get across to Nicodemus and help him to understand. Why? Because we walked. Why was this the case? Why are we dead in sin? Because we walked following the course of this world. Romans 8, 7 says that our mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. We are bent towards sin, folks. Colossians 2.13 And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made us alive with Him. Having forgiven us of all our trespasses. Who's the active agent there? God. God made us alive. 
while we were dead. Luke 15, 24, you remember the prodigal son, he runs away with his inheritance, right? Blows it all. Is eaten pretty much in the muck with the pigs. And he comes back and his father sees him from a distance away. He rejoices. He says, for my son, this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it says, and they begin to celebrate. All of heaven celebrates when a dead person comes to life. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. It's foolishness. That's why Jesus' disciples, those who proclaim to be followers of him, who are superficial in their faith, when they came and they followed him, they were natural people. They had actually not been heart changed. They walked away because they could not accept the things of the Spirit because it was foolishness to them. And they can't spiritually discern things. Believers, we can spiritually discern things. That's the wonderful thing of our life. Romans 8, 5-8 through 8 says, For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Get that, church. You know, if you're a believer, is your mind set on the things of the, of the Spirit? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Listen to this. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It is impossible to set your own mind on that which is of God. Indeed, it cannot. Absolutely sounds as if we have no hope, right? If we're just looking from this, from this standpoint, not being believers, if we didn't know and we're just first time hearing this, it would seem as if we have no hope. But get this, it takes a new spirit. So the question begs, then how are we made to be alive? How do we become so, so that we are no longer hostile towards God, dead in our sin? And this is the biggest thing for you to grasp, or the second biggest thing. It's partial. <laughs> Only the Spirit of God can regenerate our dead spirit and make us born again. You get that? Only the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, can come in and regenerate our dead spirit and make us born again. John Owen said a regeneration now not to study and try to understand this great work is to reveal our own folly and madness. Until we are born of God, we cannot do anything to please Him, nor can we have any comfort from Him, nor can we understand anything about Him or what He is doing in the world. So let's listen to the rest of the conversation because I want you to understand that there is a not a more definitive statement to me than what is found in verse 8 that answers the question of verse 4. So verse 4 again. Nicodemus asks the question, How can a man be born if he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb 
and be born. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit. Growth groups will focus on that this week, by the way. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. Listen to this. The wind blows where it wishes. This is the mercy and grace of God. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How is a person regenerated? How does that process work? It's a mystery. It's like the wind. You, you can go out and listen to the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. But the one thing that we know that is, is explicitly stated here is that everyone who is born again is born of the Spirit, by the Spirit. And He is like the wind. So the grace of God and the mercy of God is like the wind and it goes about and it sets its affections on whoever it pleases to do so. And I hope you understand that there's not a person in this room that deserves eternity with Christ, but He graciously gives it to us. We don't deserve it. We all deserve hell. And the fact is that he is gracious in saving us. He's getting that across to Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus could not understand this. Remember because he was dead in sin and the darkness of his own heart made it impossible to understand heavenly things. I'm not used to a timer. <laughs> Not only does one have to be born of the Spirit, but the third person of the Trinity is the active role in the process that we call regeneration. So when you think back to the prodigal son, you think of this, right? It's, it's not expli or explicitly implied, but later Paul helps us out with this. I want to take you back to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 where we were earlier. <clears throat> We start in verse 4. I want you to see, if you remember, we were dead in our trespasses. We were disobedient, following the course of this world, and we were, by nature, children of wrath. But listen to this good news. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God did that. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Catch verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. The Spirit is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no man can boast. Let me tell you something. You don't come to the, the faith on your own accord because you don't have any right to boast in that. God does a completed work. 
And then look what the implications that is in Colossians 1 through 3, or chapter 3, 1 through 3. You can write that down. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So it goes back to the understanding. How do we see the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about in verse 3? Where our eyes are open because of the Spirit of God regenerating us and doing a work in our life. And it's only by that that it is accomplished. That a saving faith is accomplished. And then if we go back to Romans 8, it's always beautiful because Paul sets it up that showing what we used to be and then what we are now. Romans 8, 9 through 11 says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But as Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. It is a promise to y'all. So if a person is dead in sin and the Spirit of God is the active agent in bringing about regeneration, you get that? So if we're dead in sin and the Spirit of God is the active agent in bringing about regeneration, what is the means necessary to bring a dead man back to life? What is the means? The gospel is the means by which the Spirit does a regenerative work. Outside of that, it is not possible. If we sit here and think people are going to become saved or come to know Christ or be born again just on their own accord without the preaching and the proclamation of the Word, it is impossible. We are living lies. We should be sharing the gospel. That's the beauty of our doctrine and what we believe here is that you should be able to go out and just spread seed. Spread seed. Spread seed. Share the gospel. Because knowing this, that you have nothing to do with changing a person's heart. And only the Spirit does. That should comfort you and not burden you. I think for too long we have burdened people with evangelism. Thinking that you have to share the gospel and then get that person to Christ. Let me tell you something, that is not how it works. So Jesus proclaims the gospel of Nicodemus as we... Head towards our wrap-up here. In verse 13 through 15 of John. If you listen to it, it says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Can't wait for that sermon. Stephen's got that coming up about the Son of Man. And it says, As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. The gospel is being presented right here to Nicodemus because Nicodemus understands what Jesus is getting at because he is going back to Numbers 21 verses 4 through 9. If you remember, the people had just come out of Egypt, the Israelites, and what did they begin to do? Complain. Begin to complain. Why didn't you just leave us back in Egypt if this is what it's going to be like? 
God in his anger because he had showed them mercy by bringing them out of the slavery of Egypt. In his mercy he had done that. In his judgment and his wrath he pours out and he brings about snakes. There's these serpents and they begin to go around and bite people and people are dying left and right. And then all of a sudden they realize who God is and they turn back to him in repentance. And what does God do in his grace and his mercy? He comes with a means by which to preserve their life. He tells Moses to make that of a golden serpent. Or a bronze serpent, I apologize. He tells Moses to construct a bronze serpent and that anyone who should look upon it should live. So Nicodemus understood this and what Jesus is saying to like that serpent, I'm going to be lifted up on the cross. Nicodemus didn't understand this at the time, but he does later. And he's lifted up on the cross, and Jesus said, and when people look at me, they will not only have life, but they will have life eternal. That is the hope that we have. That is the hope that Jesus is sharing with Nicodemus, and it's the hope that we should share with all people. Not to look at us, not to look at some pastor, but to look at the cross and the beauty of the cross and the ugliness of the cross. Because what Jesus has done is that He has imputed His perfect righteousness on those who believe and taken upon, and God has imputed His, the wrath deserved for me and you, on Jesus. Jesus says, just like when you remember back to that story, Nicodemus, remember this, when the Son of Man is lifted up, that you may have eternal life for those who believe, for those who look upon. So may you, not only today, may you throughout the week, may you Monday through Friday look upon the cross. May you think about it often, because that is the gospel to you each and every day. It is what you should be proclaiming each and every day. See, Nicodemus was dead in sin. He had a heart of stone. You remember back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel says, have a heart of stone, but God will renew it, remove it, and put a new heart and a new spirit within us. So the Spirit of God was doing a work, even in the midst of his misunderstanding, right here in this conversation, God is doing a work in the life of Nicodemus then. We call that work regeneration. The Spirit's beginning to work in Nicodemus' life. It's proven to us. Listen to this. I'm not going to read the passage. You can go back and check me. John chapter 7, verses 50 through 52. When Jesus, the, the people were questioning if Jesus was a prophet, and the Pharisees were saying, No way. Prophet don't come out of Galilee. Who stands up for Jesus? Nicodemus does. No longer is he holding out in fear. He's speaking boldly on behalf of Jesus, proclaiming justice on behalf of Jesus, saying that Jesus deserves a fair trial. He deserves to be heard first. So we begin to see a shift in the way Nicodemus' life is changing before our very eyes. I have no doubt this is why John shares us the story of Nicodemus from his very beginning to his very end because in John chapter 19 verses 38 through 39 when Jesus has died if you remember 
Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea comes to collect the body. Guess who's with him? Nicodemus. It ain't by night anymore. He comes in the day. And he don't care to be seen. Nicodemus comes in the day. John even notes in this passage that this was the same Nicodemus that came by night. There's a reason to that. Because John's pointing back to the very change that's happened in Nicodemus' life. That, that the, the very process by which we're saved that, that Jesus tells Nicodemus about is what has exactly happened to Nicodemus. And it's exactly the same thing that happens to us. And to those who we share the gospel with. I find that fascinating that Nicodemus at the end of his life, or not in his life, but right here in his ministry, he doesn't care any longer. We're not told any more about Nicodemus at this point, but we can make some pretty good assumptions that he was a changed man. John 1, 12-13, But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The gospel made sense to Nicodemus towards the end of his life. That's the thing you never know about a person. Jesus simply explains the process, shares the gospel. Nicodemus sees him later in life lifted up on that tree bearing the wrath for his very sin. And his righteousness being imputed to Nicodemus so that when God looks at Nicodemus now, he sees Christ and not his sin. So what? Let me ask you this. Thinking about, it's weighty right there, right? And that's very heavy when you think about all that Jesus just shared with Nicodemus. And all that we have to think about. Uh, uh, this is what an authentic faith looks like. That we're changed by the Spirit of God. Through the means of the gospel of God. And that's the exact same thing, folks. That's why the gospel is preached here every Sunday. We're not interested in, in entertaining folks. Because entertaining people doesn't do anything for us saving them. Let me ask you this, and so what? Have you told the good news of God's deliverance? Have you? Are you being faithful in that? It, it is not the job of your pastor. It is not the job of your small group leader. It's not the job of Micah. It's not the job of, of anybody other than yourself to be faithful and go and share the good news of God's deliverance. Psalm 49 through 10 says, I have told of the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. May we be of the same accord. And as I finish, I hope we may be like Paul and Apollos. 1 Corinthians 3, 5, 7 reads, What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? What then is Jeff? What then is any of you? 
other than servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. We're called to do work. Listen to this. But God gave the growth. Labor, people. Labor. But rest in the fact that God gives the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. (laughs) It's a reality check. But only God who gives the growth. So if you see the main idea on your page, I just want you to see it as we close. It is through the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the Spirit of God begins and brings to completion the salvation of man. It's got to begin with the gospel. May we be faithful in proclaiming, knowing that God is the only one faithful and able to change the hearts of man. In His joy, He makes us a part of it. You get that? He doesn't need you. In His joy, He makes us a part of it. He's glad to use us. May you, may you understand that. Don't, don't make evangelism a burden, but find it as a joy that the Lord wants to use you. Let us pray. Father, you've given us heavy stuff today. Lord, one of the most talked about and regarded passages of Scripture. But Lord, it's so plain and simple for those of us who can discern spiritual things. And when when we understand that, God, you have blessed us with the opportunity to share you, lift it up. And not only being crushed for our sins, but God, that you were raised from the dead so that we may have life and have it eternal. May that be what comes out of our mouth. May we proclaim that good news and that gospel. And God, let your spirit do the rest. And we may we rest in that. May we feel challenged today. May we feel burdened by those who are outside of this building that are lost Oh God, give us your words. Amen.